checking for me, no one checking on me, so I had to go run up and check. I got the message on me, ain't no flexing on me, my attorney gon' call and collect. Blessings on blessings for me, my successes only made them envious, they got upset. I had to put all their egos in check. I want the money, the power, respect. I had my ego put in check. Not a threat, cause I really know so and so. They like my family, so they go pretend that they cool till they bust at your motherfucking chest. Big time. How's everyone doing? It's the new year. It's January. Recording date, Monday, January 15th, 2024. It's your boy, Simon. Closed Network Podcast. Privacy Podcast. Talk about privacy, security, some other fun stuff. Life stuff sometimes. And, uh, yeah, things have been uh, not a great start for my new year. (laughs) Um, I actually had uh, some plans to get a couple episodes out right after Christmas time. I went out of town, and on Christmas Day, I tore my ACL. Uh, And that was... Not a good day, and I was 1,200 miles roughly from home. We had, we had driven there. I uh, did a destination Christmas. It was a lot of fun, and I would do it again. But uh, long and the short is I, I have a one-wheel. If, no, if you're not familiar with a one-wheel, it's a electric scooter or a skateboard, rather. It's just one wheel in the center, and you kind of ride it around like a skateboard. And I've had this thing for a couple of years, and I've – ridden it everywhere, uh, camping, off-road, everything. And this happened on a flat surface in front of the Airbnb on the street and uh, malfunctioned, threw me off, and, yeah, I tore my ACL, possibly meniscus. I actually have an appointment on the uh, day after tomorrow with my my orthopedic doctor to figure out what we're going to do to fix it. Um, so, anyway, it's not a uh, what was me. It was an accident, and... Uh, I'm dealing with it, but it definitely curbed the plans I had for a lot of things in life, including uh, the podcast. So we don't have to dwell on that. It was just kind of um, a little insight into where I've been, what's been going on. Some of you know, um, as I've talked to you one-on-one, especially our moderators, if something were to happen to me, hopefully they would be able to relay important information. (laughs) So Uh, This is episode number 30, titled No Reasonable Expectation of Privacy. I'm going to talk a little bit about um, the Fourth Amendment uh, for those that are in the United States. The Fourth Amendment is um, a constitutional protection against illegal search and seizure of one's person or private papers or property. Uh, And we're going to touch on what the third-party doctrine is. I'm not going to deep dive into that, but it's going to be a catalyst for a lot of the changes that and other things um, in my own personal privacy and security journey as I'm moving into the new year, new year and making a lot of these plans. And maybe some of you are trying to figure out, okay, what, what are you going to add in your arsenal, in your personal defenses to protect your personal data and how you, what information you give out when you're signing up for services and signing up for different things, knowing good and well that they will probably, most likely, 100% be breached at some point, and how will that affect you? What impact will that have to your life? Uh, so before, um, I, and I, there's a couple other things I'm going to talk about. 
some updates to like Graphene OS, uh, kind of looking over 2023, some 2024 plans. I'm going to talk a little bit about the Fourth Amendment and the third party doctrine. Uh, and if I can get to some of these news stories, I might highlight them. Uh, framework disclosed. They're the computer uh, company. They make laptops and stuff like that. Uh, they had a data breach. Um, Apple AirDrop having um, some flaws that have been exploited to track uh, individuals in China. And uh, apparently they've known about this since 2019. Uh, there's a good article on the Proton website on how to create a strong password. I might cover that. Um, the Fed's... Seeing your notifications on both Apple and Google, <laughs> I'm sure it's a little that's a little old news now by a few weeks, but um, it was something that I thought was interesting and a cool video I'll post in there, uh, which is interesting if you're into hacking, how to do Wi-Fi hacking. Uh, I might talk a little bit about that because I'm also changing the way that I do networking when I'm on the road. Uh, like I just said previously, when I tore my ACL, we were staying at Airbnb for a week. Um, and some just thoughts and considerations about using Wi-Fi. I'm going to say untrusted Wi-Fi. It could be public. It could be private. Someone's house, uh, a friend's house, family member's house, any any Wi-Fi. And some of those strategies are also kind of playing into like how I'm going to be redoing my own network, my own AKA area closed network uh, between my house, my parents, and my brother's house, kind of setting up a uh, trusted network, if you will, and some in some VLANs where those are virtual uh, local area networks. But um, so yeah, that's the rundown. If any of that sounds interesting to you, I love that you stick around. If there's no interest, no hard feelings if you dip out. So um, before we get started, I just want to give a shout out to our resident moderators on Intelligent Seven, Goop, and Maddest Max. Uh, they all do a really good job, especially uh, since the beginning on Intelligent 7, Mattis Max, when people join the Matrix chat, um, making them feel welcome, making everyone kind of kind of keep an eye on things. Sometimes, Generally, I would say 99% of the time, things are super civil and very chill and relaxed. Um, sometimes things can get a little heated, I would say, in, in this space, not necessarily in our chat room. When it comes to what someone likes a tool an application something like that and other people are like oh, i don't trust that or that's not my style but th there's so much like chill in our in our matrix chat that uh, i have to give a lot of that credit to our moderators because they do a really good job at welcoming people asking uh questions answering questions and just keeping things going and and, and keeping things going as far as active and and alive and there's a lot of great information that's exchanged in our main channel, the Closed Network Podcast main channel, and our off-topic channel. The off-topic channel is kind of more like the lounge. You want to share some memes. You want to just joke around, uh, especially the spicy memes. I got a huge shout-out to Woolham. Uh, he, <laughs> he, they, she, I'm not sure, but... Um, Excellent, excellent memes. Some of the best memes uh, that, that I've seen. And those are all being dropped in the OT channel, the off-topic channel. So Unintelligent7, Mattis Max, Goop, who is fairly new moderator. Uh, thank you all for, for your help. Uh, Unintelligent7 has also been there and helping with some infrastructure, keeping things updated, like our SSL certificate on our Mastodon server. Speaking of the Mastodon server, we're going to be uh, relocating that to on-premises bare metal 
from a VPS. So that project we'll probably be working on over the next couple of months. Just acquired a new server for that. Uh, and as I get further into uh, self-hosting and stuff like that, that, that kind of falls under that umbrella. Uh, also want to give thanks to Michael Bates and Richard G privacy badass, uh, sponsors in our Patreon. Um, the Patreon is on the website. You don't have to pay to be a part of it. And I will be posting some uh, content, uh, on there that I is like video and other stuff. I've been starting to tinker with doing Instagram reels and YouTube and stuff like that, just to reach people, uh, on those platforms to spread, some of this information around uh, pretty basic stuff like using password managers and that kind of thing. Um, and incorporating some of the things that I enjoy uh, into that. Uh, I'm in, I'm in, yeah, I'll post, I'll post the links to that. I won't get into it now. Uh, so yeah, video content coming. Uh, for those that are not in our matrix channel, you can really easily join. Uh, the easiest way to set that up would be to download the element app and it's available on every platform, Mac, Linux, windows, Android, iOS, everything. It's everywhere. You can just download Element. It's an app. Set up an account and then go to closednetwork.io. That's our website. And you can click on Join the Matrix channel and boom, you're in. When you join the uh, Closed Network channel, initially you won't see any previous messages because it is in an encrypted. Uh, so you only see new messages going forward. Our off topic channel is not into an encrypted. It's kind of the, like I said, the lounge. So you'll see a history of messages there. But if you first join, you're like, wait, where is everybody? Um, it's just because you haven't, you're only seeing, you know, from the moment that you joined. Uh, so both links to the main channel and our off-topic channel are there. We also have our Mastodon server, which is at closednetwork.social. And that is free to sign up. If you want to join, if you're already on Mastodon, uh, you can uh, you can follow some of us. And yeah, that's that pretty much covers that. Um, so thank you all for, for uh, that support. And of course, my top uh, Bitcoin Podcast 2.0 contributors, Bond always coming in, uh, crushing it with those donations. Circus Media is a new one. Pixel Jones and White Coat Black Hat, of course, is always there supporting. Um, those funds... Like I actually like spend quite a bit of money every month uh, on things like VPS servers, domain name, you know, just things like that. Um, and also there's some things that I want to uh, upgrade things like my microphone. I'm currently using the pod mic, which has been really good. I'd eventually love to go to an SMB seven, uh, which is a more, more um, of a dynamic microphone, um, things like that. Right. So there are there's expenditures that I pay for out of my own pocket and that really helps. And eventually one day I'd love to be able to just do this kind of stuff full time, uh, writing articles, doing podcasts, doing videos. So that would be like kind of like a dream job for me and maybe sometime down the road, a couple of years from now, who knows, uh, that could become a reality. So I do do this as a hobby as, um, I don't sell anything. I'm not one of these podcasters that has guides and books and all that, though I appreciate the ones that do. I'm literally just a dude with a mic um, who's a, kind of a nerd and I have a full day job, right? I actually have my own company that I run. Um, and I do a lot of media and video development and all sorts of stuff like that. So I do this just purely as a hobby. So those donations kind of go towards that for those that are wondering, like, what do you do with the money, dude? Um, literally I'm, I'm net negative, crazy every month just in vps fees for things like mastodon server uh the website uh we were running um 
a, a search, uh, a search ng server. Uh, decided to you know keep that going for the moment, but I'll probably shut that down as I kind of just think a lot of people end up using Start Page and stuff like that anyway. So uh, that's all the housekeeping stuff. Um, and I and I hope you're all doing well. I hope you had a great New Year and a good Christmas. And uh, the, the 2024 is kicking off well for you. I know it's in the United States. It's been pretty cold. <laughs> um, I don't know where you are in the country, but if you're anywhere, you're probably experiencing some of this uh, cold activity. I know I am. Uh, so, uh, yeah, getting into the topics. Um, cool thing, Graphene OS did roll out. Uh, and I know some of you are like, ah, I'm not using that. And that's cool. But a lot of people, I think, would. They rolled out Android Auto functionality, which is built into a lot of newer cars. I would say probably like 20... 16, 17, 18, and newer. And Android Auto is basically a way to easily use your phone projected onto the screen. So if you're a road warrior and you listen to podcasts, listen to music, and you're using like map navigation, uh, it's basically just an easy way to project your phone. For Apple, this is called CarPlay. So you might have been familiar. Maybe you use this in your car. Um, I have a car. I only have one car that even has these features. It's a newer car. It's a 2021 model. Uh, my other vehicles are um, just Bluetooth, right? So I d- that's fine. I just put the phone in the cradle. And a lot of people probably uh, do that too. Just put the phone in the cradle and use the phone screen. Uh, but I did test it out and it does, it does work. It works actually really well. And um, I have Magic Earth and it works really well. Um, so I use Magic Earth for for uh, navigation. Yes, I have Google Maps um, because sometimes you just got to have it. I, I do a lot of road trips and a lot of off-roading and camping. So sometimes I'm downloading those that map data offline to reference. And I'm also using other apps for those specific purposes like Gaia GPS and Onyx Off-Road. But I, 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 I prefer to use Magic Earth if I can because it's more privacy-respecting navigation app and it works on android auto with my pixel 7 pro uh running graphene os so those that were curious or didn't know that that feature is there it's there and you can access it by just going into the graphene os app so when you first install graphene os there's a default app on your phone just called apps and that's where you would install things like google play google play services so if you just go to the literally the apps app on your phone on Graphene OS, there's now an option for uh, Android Auto. And you do have to turn it on. And then another pro tip is you do have to go into um, settings and actually enable the ability to uh, access the stuff on your phone. Um, If you have any questions about that or you run into issues, pop into the Matrix chat. Uh, or hit me up on Mastodon or Twitter. Um, though Twitter's kind of, I'm not, I'm like using it less lately, but feel free to ask questions and we'll get you pointed in the right direction. Um, so I kind of want to take just a couple minutes to just reflect over 2023. Uh, I didn't necessarily hit a lot of the goals that I wanted to, to achieve for myself for the podcast. Um, I want to do more articles on the website. And I want to have um, a more consistent publishing schedule. And I'm sure a lot of you um, would too, because I, I start getting messages <laughs> um, from whether it's direct message on Twitter, like, hey, everything cool? When's the next podcast coming? And I, I'd really, uh, I, I really wanted to have a, a better frequency. So that's one of the goals for 2024. But looking, looking over the year, you know, it just like, though I'm a little disappointed in myself for what, um, where I was at, uh, I'm really grateful and happy and amazed and just blown away by uh, how 
how much the community has grown, even though I have been kind of inconsistent sometimes in my upload schedule. And I mean, over 200 people in the chat room alone, like right now, as we have this conversation and it's just growing and growing and growing. And I'm just like, wow, I'm really kind of just humbled by like how many people uh, are joining and sharing knowledge and making friendships. And um, I also want to make a point that I was, I I'm starting this virtual bar hangout and Willem, thank you for the awesome closed network uh, privacy bar uh, uh, image that you made. We'll be using that. Um, I kind of wanted, I thought it would be fun to just have maybe once a month, uh, you know, or whatever frequency works, maybe twice a month so we can accommodate for people that have different schedules to just have a hangout where you can just click a link, join a, a web chat. Um, you don't, you don't have to run your camera, just, just mics. And we could just kind of have an open bar for a couple hours, maybe talk about um, what people are doing, answer questions, just have some community conversation around what we're all trying to achieve, which is maybe self-hosting, limiting our digital footprint, uh, tactics, techniques for maybe email aliasing or, per, you know, anonymous purchases. That's always a, a common one. And they kind of vary depending upon what country you're in. So that's something that I was planning to do after we got back. I actually had communicated with some of you and said, yeah, we're going to do it Friday. I'm going to do it this time. And with my knee, uh, I didn't even get back in time for it at my, my, Trip got extended, took a while to get back. Anyway, long story short, we're going to be doing some of these kind of um, social open bar hours. And if you don't drink, that's okay. Bring whatever your favorite drink is, and uh, we're just going to kind of hang out. So that's um, something that I'd like to uh, get get started again. I didn't even get started the first time, so just get going. Um, but uh, overall, I'm really Overall, I'm, I'm happy with everything and where things have come and where they are right now. And I'm just really, I'm just really grateful. And I, I feel really um, like humbled and proud of, of, our, of our group of people because I don't look at this as like a me thing. It's like I'm just a guy who just records some stuff into a mic and interviews people. And, and I enjoy doing that. And I'm going to continue to do that. But really, the people that are in the community are doing so much to help and and. Uh, answering questions and giving advice and i just when i when i when i go into the room and i'm catching up on messages i'm like wow there's a whole bunch of cool stuff going on here and it's happening regardless of whether or not i exist or not and that is awesome i think that's a really cool thing and so i would just like to say that i think we have like the coolest privacy community uh and the most chill like no drama yeah maybe there's some things i say or do that people don't like and that's that's okay um but I, I don't see any strife, really, any drama in, in our in our group, and I just kind of, I don't know, just it just kind of makes me feel really good and go like, wow, dude, our 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 uh, community is like pretty awesome. If, if you think of it as like a neighborhood, you, you know what I'm thinking? if I don't know if you've ever lived in a neighborhood where maybe you had like a street that you lived on or a cul-de-sac where you just had like the squad, right? Like the neighborhood squad, whether it was when you were a kid and your friends or as adults and you kind of know your neighbors and you could just hang outside and have a beer and everyone's cool all the time. Kind of feel like that's what it is. It's just this, it's in a virtual space and I'm really grateful to be a part of that. So 2024, um, I'm going to be working on some of my own personal stuff, which I'll be talking about on the show as it relates to networking, 
and self-hosting. Um, and this kind of will uh, prelude the conversation into the main topic, which is what I mentioned earlier in the beginning, the Fourth Amendment and the third-party doctrine, um, because I'm kind of taking this stuff like more seriously. And so I want to have an infrastructure that helps uh, foster me running services that I can access from outside the home, that I can share resources with my parents, with my brother. Um, we're all, we're kind of like if you geographically, we're all p- pretty much like 45 minutes to an hour apart. Um, so we're all relatively close, but it's also kind of like a cool thing in the sense where I have this opportunity to create my network to do things like backup uh, one next cloud server to a backup at another location um, to be able to have certain services open to share for Jellyfin or Plex to share media, which of course is all legally purchased and obtained, of course. Um, and, and also use as a VPN gateway for when I'm outside the house and using internet somewhere else that I could always proxy back in, tunnel back in, VPN back in, throw in whatever you want uh, to use like the trusted network to access uh, the internet or other things. So for 2024, um, things like cloud services, data, email, communications, these are all things like I want to get a little deeper into. Um, also communications, and it relates to educating myself on things like outside of internet protocol communications. So ham radio, uh, BLE, um, like low energy Bluetooth communications, AKA ATAC or a mesh radio. Um, I'm actually planning to have someone who I would consider like an expert or at least much more of an expert than I am on this topic. So that will be something, uh, if that interests you, uh, think of like these little Bluetooth, like low power modules that can be powered with like a USB, USB, um, battery pack. And then uh, you can use an Android app to use map navigation, but also to be able to communicate, through your own mesh network, through you're like basically anyone who has one of these little radios and they're inexpensive uh, is like a node. And so your nodes are kind of meshed to each other and would, I don't know, think of it like it's kind of a Boy Scout thing, I think, right? <laughs> Being in the woods, playing with walkie talkies, it's a similar concept, but these things could come in really useful in a myriad of different implementations, whether it's uh, whether it's protests and no one's bringing cell phones, but you want to be able to communicate because uh, it's pretty known that they have subscriber ID catchers, MZ catchers uh, at the, like, you know, stingrays and different things are called at a lot of protests where they're basically mass sweeping uh, IMEI or MZ numbers from anyone who is basically in the area. This is a man in the middle attack, by the way. Uh, someone who is emulating being a cell site operator and your phone connecting and giving your subscriber information to them, which could be law enforcement or third, or could be a private company for all we know. Um, so that might be one, one implementation. Now, there could be other implementations if there are breakdowns and failure and in, in functionality of uh, cell phone services and things like that for natural disasters or... Uh, terrorist threat levels that change uh, in certain cities, often they will shut down the cell networks. Well, if you, if you are only relying on your cell phone to communicate, it might be a good idea to have a backup means to communicate with at least your immediate family. Um, for myself and my brother, uh, we have predefined channels 
uh, that we could communicate on with our ham radios. Uh, in the event of, like, say, you know, a mass snowstorm, ice storm taking out communications, uh, we don't have landlines anymore. And so we would have to assume the Internet's down and possibly self-service is down. If those things go down, most people are going to be kind of stuck without a way to communicate or get news or weather information, things like that. So those are uh, topics that I want to get more educated on and share and explore uh, with people who are experts in these areas. Um, so uh, for 2023, I noticed uh, there, some of this still a, a lot of questions that I see both on Mastodon Twitter and within our own chat about um, when you make that switch to Graphene OS. So you don't have like a cloud a, by default, you don't have a cloud service to like log in and sync your contacts and documents, photos, stuff like that. I just wanted to give a brief outline, uh, a quick and dirty of my current setup for how I handle this. And we'll be going into other episodes and I'm planning on doing some on guides on how to set this up on a very basic level, like in your home. And then once you kind of get a handle of that, you could think like, okay, how could I host this? Um, where I could access it via reverse proxy or, or a Cloudflare tunnel or something like that. But I have an xCloud server. Actually, I have cu a couple different xCloud servers. Um, but let's just keep it real simple. Uh, cloud, an uh, xCloud server, which is where all my contacts and my calendar stuff are. Yeah, I also use it for file backups and photos. On top of that, I use another... Um, and I use an application called DAVX, D-A-V-X, and that is in the F-Droid store. You can download it. Uh, it's open source, and you can use it as a connector. So, And it can connect to a lot of different WebDAV, CalDAV services. It's just that I happen to be using NextCloud for mine. And that will synchronize. So if you create a contact in your phone on a certain interval, usually every like five or 10 minutes, you can set it to whatever you want. It'll check with the server and it will reconcile that new contact to your next cloud contacts. You can also log in on the web uh, on your local network, or if you have access to it from outside, or maybe you have it hosted on a VPS. Uh, so I basically have a pixel seven pro running graphene OS with next cloud um, is my backend. And I use DAVX to synchronize my contacts and my calendars. I have a, uh, we have a, most of my family are all on this Nextcloud server, and we have a shared family calendar, which is also very helpful. Um, so we can all put stuff on there, and we can see like, oh, okay, this is when someone says to be out of town, or this and that and the other. Kind of just makes life a little easier to have this shared calendar uh, that you're not relying on Google or Apple or any other third party to host for you. It's all on your server. So um, as a secondary to my photos backing up to Nextcloud, I also use NT Photos. This isn't necessarily a personal, like, I just pay for it. I, I don't, there's no affiliation. We don't do affiliations here. We don't do any sponsors here. We don't do any, any advertisements here. So uh, it's just what I happen to use because it is an end-to-end -end encrypted photo uh, backup that you can access with other from other devices, um, and you can access it from a uh, desktop application as well. So you can install the NT Photos on your Mac, Linux machine, uh, Windows machine, and access all your photos. So it's just kind of like a secondary backup for me. It just so much value in photos and videos that I would never want to lose those. Um, that may change in the future, um, but that's kind of what I've been doing. And then if, for my, me personally, I use KeePass XC and Bitwarden for my password managers. Um, <clears throat> I use KeePass XC for like more sensitive accounts. And then I synchronize that um, file. Uh, I do it with, with 
um, Nextcloud, but I'm probably going to be switching over to using SyncThing for that. Um, and that may be something that you would want to consider if you don't want to use a cloud password manager. Um, though, if you do go with one, I, I suggest Bitwarden. It's, it's also something you could self-host using Vault Warden on your own server. Uh, and that be, that'll be something that we're going to explore at a later date. Uh, for VPNs, I'm primarily using Mulvad these days. Uh, this is actually a conversation we were having earlier in the, in the Matrix chat. I like Mulvad for a couple of reasons. One is the speed of their VPN is, seems to be very consistent. Um, I have noticed slowdowns with Proton VPN over the last year, and I think other people have mentioned the same thing. I also recommend IVPN.net. I've been using them for a very, very, very long time. I think back to 2011, 2011, 2012, somewhere around there. I've had this uh, IVPN account. Um, so those are kind of my my favorites personally. Um, Mulvad I like because you could just go to any, log on to any Wi-Fi, go to Mulvad, and set up an account where it just generates an ID for you. And you can pay for that service with cryptocurrency, including Monero. And if you pay with Monero, it's a 10% discount. So you can basically... Uh, completely compartmentalize the transactional purchase of uh, the VPN service from any other identity associated to you. So you don't need an email address. You don't need anything. You got to remember this account um, and you can top up. You can add more time to it. Like if you're only paying every 30 days or 16 or 90 days, you can add more time to it and you can add more time to it with crypto. And I, for me, that's huge. I don't really trust VPNs uh, that much. So the fact that the more removal I can do of myself, uh, the better. I do like their browser though too. And it doesn't have, like it does a really good job at masking the browser fingerprints that a lot of uh, websites use to track you um, based upon like your browser, your OS version, your screen resolution, all that fun stuff. It does a really good job at masking that. Uh, So I do like their browser. Um, I'm still a heavy Firefox user, um, but I do use Mulvad quite a bit. Um, and then I also still use Brave uh, for certain things. Um, sometimes it's just easier for like media-based stuff. Um, it's, it's helpful. Uh, for my media server in my house, currently I am running uh, Casa OS, uh, which is running on top of Ubuntu server for like Jellyfin, uh, Plex. Um, I was running Piehole on there. Uh, but this is a server you could set up. Casa OS is open source. You can download it so you can easily do Docker application one-click installs for things like media server stuff or pretty much whatever the heck you want to. Um, and then for my uh, my Bitcoin node, I'm running on Umbral. And that's running my Bitcoin node, Lightning node, and my Ronin Dojo server. Um, I did recently purchase a Ronin Dojo uh, Tonto server as well. So that will be replacing uh, the work of that, uh, for the, for the Raspberry Pi. And I'm got some stuff I'm moving around. Um, I also have another server. Uh, I want to set up trying uh, out start OS. If you listen to the previous episode 29, um, we went over start nine and start OS and I'm, and I really want to run one of those servers, if nothing else, just so I can be familiar with it, pros and cons advantages, but Umbral, Casa OS and start OS are kind of my ones that I'm playing with right now, other than, you know, some other stuff that I'll be setting up later with Proxmox and a whole network config change, which I'll probably do a dedicated video or a video, uh, a podcast to, um, who knows, maybe I'll make a video because I'm going to be doing a combination and this is going to, I roll some of you I, I are going to, there's going to be a proverbial eye roll and I totally get that. 
but I am going to be imp- implementing some Unify equipment um, along with PF Sense so that I can remotely, easily remotely manage um, the controller for two different locations that I'm not at very often. One that I'm not at very often, one sort of, uh, you know, often, but to be able to set up um, site to site VPNs and manage VLANs and firewall rules. I'm probably going to be using some Unify equipment for that. And then for, for firewalls, especially at my location, uh, PF Sense, I'm going to be using. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to buy something from PF Sense or just build a server and throw a couple uh, two and a half gig NIC cards in there, uh, or, at least, or at least one two and a half you know, for the, for the WAN and a 10 gig for the internal and start. I want to start moving to 10 gigabit Ethernet over time. Uh, and then also be ready to move to Wi-Fi 7. And I do... Uh, want to use some of those uh, ubiquity unifies long range um, access points, especially now that they're rolling out Wi-Fi seven. I know it's a little early in the game to be doing that, but if I'm going to redo some of the network in three different locations, I'm kind of planning for that ahead of time. Uh, and the reason why I said the proverbial eye roll is because I know unify is not open source. PF sense is open source. We love open source. Um, and I'm getting more vigilant about trying to use only open source, especially for where it's personal, because there's so much happening, uh, that you don't know about with proprietary software until it's like too late, usually because it's exposed through some sort of, uh, finding a bug bounty reveal, a zero day reveal, that kind of thing. Not to say there aren't zero days with open source software. There are, but it's a lot, I feel a lot safer <laughs> using uh, software where a lot of other people are looking at the code uh, more often than a proprietary company is probably inviting in an audit. So um, we'll we'll do as I figure that out. Um, I'll kind of talk more about that because if some of you care um, and. In the shadow, if you're listening, um, thanks. We've had some really good conversations going back and forth that have kind of like made me feel okay with using Unify stuff, especially the way I'm going to be setting up some of these firewall rules and the way I'm going to be setting up VLANs, uh, especially for just stuff like IoT devices and things of that nature. Um, but yeah, so that's going to be a massive network upgrade for myself, and it will probably be over the course of a few several months. So I will kind of keep people posted and whatever servers that I find, uh, server platforms that I find are working better for me than others, whether it's, you know, Umbral, StartOS, Casa OS, um, doing things like Proxmox or Kubernetes clusters and Proxmox, things of that nature, I will share with you. And just so you all know, like I am not um, by trade. I am not I mean, I, I was a sysadmin years ago, um, and, but, but, but the stuff I did then compared to the stuff that network engineers and sysadmins, DevOps guys and stuff and girls and whatever are doing now, um, I'm an idiot. <laughs> so I'm learning a lot of this in my free time, watching videos, I'm listening to uh, podcasts. Um, and when I say podcasts, sometimes those are on YouTube too, but like people interviewing each other and stuff like that. Uh, I've been watching a lot of David Bumble content, Bumble, Bumble. He, he's interviewed some people. Um, there's another guy that's some, if I can find those videos, I'll, I'll put them in the show notes, but, uh, talking about Unify, talking about PF sense. And so I feel like I'm on the right track. I'm in the right zone. Um, and a lot of the things that I, the reason why I want to do a lot of this is because I want to be able to set up my network in a way where almost anything I want to do 
that that I rely on for both not just personal but also for business stuff, I can try to self-host as much of it as I can and split those things out so they're separated. Um, but but be able to utilize the same hardware to handle some of these different tasks. So that'll be virtualizing things for work. Uh, and then also virtualizing things for personal use and have segregation um, from the networks on those things as well. It's kind of uh, a plate of spaghetti the way I'm looking at it at the moment, but I'm trying to capture as much as I can. And I know things evolve over time. If it wasn't for a lot of you in the uh, community, I would be clueless. Um, it's really kind of helped me get honed in and Mattis Max and an intelligent seven are always telling me, Hey, do this, try this, try that, uh, sharing some great ideas with me. And of course, it recently, um, in the shadows been super helpful. Uh, and th- there's such a wealth of knowledge in our community. I, I, I feel kind of, uh, dumb when I'm <laughs> talking about a lot of this stuff. Cause there's a lot of you are way smarter than me when it comes to these things, but I'm learning, uh, I have my strengths and my weaknesses. This is an area of weakness for me that I really want to bone up this year. Uh, so why? Why does all this matter? Why, why self-host? Why try to take back my data? Why, why, should this, why should you care? And why is this important? And it, it's, a lot of it is just the next development from my personal journey and going, okay, I've been able to pull a lot back from big tech companies. And now I want to get more sophisticated with that so that I can also make it easier for people I care about to onboard into this lifestyle. And this, this is a lifestyle. Um, these, the, you know, when I go back, when I was thinking about it the other day, uh, cause I really, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer, right? So I was pretty young and born into the, the internet with bulletin board systems, Galacticom, BBS, Wildcat servers, things of that nature, then Prodigy, CompuServe, blah, 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 all that fun stuff until eventually we, you know, the internet is just, just this um, always on, always accessible thing to most of us, not everyone, I understand that, but most of us where it's like, just it almost just seems like it's in thin air all the time around you with Wi-Fi connections, LTE, 5G, all that stuff. And with that, you we all learned how to use technology in different ways. And so I understand that there's a lot of like hesitation because it can seem overwhelming to learn how to run your own servers and things like that. Uh, but first of all, it's gotten a lot easier. Second of all, there's a lot, a lot of resources out there. Equipment's much less expensive, much more affordable, uh, to, to the point where you can buy stuff for like a hundred, 150 bucks, uh, whether it's purpose driven little blades servers, um, raspberry Pi type servers, low power servers, right. Or, or old repurposed desktops, like corporate sales on eBay, you can buy Dell Optiplexes with Core i7s and 32 gigs of RAM all day long for 150 bucks US. And so it, the barrier is very low to um, to learn and to get into this. But we all had to learn technology to get to the point where we are today. But we just got reliant. We became reliant on big tech to handle our data, whereas before we used to handle it ourselves with zip drives, burning CD-ROMs and DVD-ROMs and 
if if you remember a zip drive, then definitely throw uh, throw throw me a like. Is that what they say on YouTube? Throw me a like. Um, throw me a like in the Matrix channel because uh, I want to hear about your zip drive experiences. But you know what I mean? External hard drives, all that stuff. And then we we went to where the cloud just kind of took over for us, and we didn't have to worry about it. But what we don't, what we give up, is ownership, not just of the data in itself, but also ownership of a lot of the the rights to it even, uh, who technically owns it and who can access it without your permission. And so I kind of went down this rabbit hole of the what is the Fourth Amendment? Now, this is only going to apply to the United States, right? But there are similar type laws in other countries. And in the United States, we have the Fourth Amendment of the Constitution, which is um, a protection against, you know, illegal search and seizure of your personal property and papers. Basically, you need to get a warrant. Someone has to be suspected of a probable cause of committing a crime. You have to have probable cause of someone committing a crime. And then there's an, there is a warrant issue that would allow the search of their personal property uh, under the investigation that they have committed such kind of a crime. Well, the, the lines have really gotten uh, blurred. And I started just doing some research into this. And there, you know, it kind of stems back to uh, the mid 70s with a case called Miller versus United States versus Miller in 1976. And this is regarding, um, uh, this was in regards to bank records. Um, and I think even before that with the telephone company, but in 1976, uh, the U S versus Miller case, there was basically the determination that, um, there is this third party doctrine, so to speak, which means when you, when you transmit information or, or sign over documents could be, and that could be considered something like depositing a check, uh, writing a check that's getting cashed, uh, in this context, with this case, that that information is not necessarily protected by the Fourth Amendment. There's no um, reasonable expectation of privacy in that context because technically, you're 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 doing business as a service, right, with a bank that's handling all this. So, think of that back then as like metadata, like the 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 date that you deposited or cashed a check or made a transfer or wrote a check that was cashed. Um, and the banks need to keep records of this because they have ledgers to manage. So that's their property. And you're just the ancillary information in their system regarding that data. So you don't really have an expectation of privacy for that information itself uh, as it pertains to needing a warrant to look at it or if you are under investigation to, you know, get a warrant to look at it. Um, and then fast forward, there is a case um, most recently, uh, and I'm, I may play a clip. It's I'm going to post a link to this video. It's an hour long, and it's from, uh, it's basically a conference. It's a, it's a panel of lawyers who have, worked on cases, Fourth Amendment cases, and they're, they're very well read and understand the nuance and, and, and how to write arguments for their cases, for their clients, to defend those clients under the Fourth Amendment protection when there has been a case that it's very blurry is if this is falls under like a third-party doctrine scenario or does this uh, individual need to have a warrant to go look at their information? Uh, it might be phone records. 
Uh, it might be, you know, bank statements, uh, things of that nature. So it's an hour long and it's crazy. This video is from 2019. It has 473 views and I've just, I've watched it twice and I still feel like, um, I could watch it three more times and get something new out of it every time because it's a pretty dense, uh, conversation of three panelists, uh, Megan Graham, uh, who's a fellow at uh, some clinic for law and technology. I'm trying to look it up real quick. Uh, Samuelson Clinic for Law and Technology and Public Policy. Um, then there's the Honorable Stephen Smith, who's the director of the Fourth Amendment Open Courts Center for Internet and Society at Stanford Law School. And then Nathan Freed we, uh, Wessler, who's a staff attorney at the ACLU uh, for Speech, Privacy, and Technology, the Technology Project at the ACLU. I'm not going to play this whole thing, but I might play the first uh, six or seven minutes, which is the opening statement from Megan Graham specifically on third party doctrine, because I feel like she explains it in a way that's easy to comprehend and hard for me to like, for whatever reason to summarize, even though I, I did do the work to write a summary. Um, and I haven't uh, gotten into that just yet because I don't want to, I don't want to F it up. (laughs) If that makes sense. Um, so we're going to go ahead and um, play this. This She's talking about a specific case, uh, uh, UV Miller, uh, in regards to cell phone site location information and whether or not um, they actually argue that that was private information um, and not shouldn't fall under a third-party doctrine. Because if you think about it, your phone, if you have a modern phone, a lot of us don't have a modern phone when we have a modern device, but we're running Graphene OS and we're probably very strict about what apps give location information. But I'm talking about your everyday person with an iPhone or stock Android, Samsung, whatever kind of phone. By default, there's a lot of location tracking that's being monitored and tracked and stored. Not only, I mean, just just by the, the, the manufacturer, just by Google or the apps that are uh, have access to location on the phone uh, or Apple. But on top of that, then you also have cellular uh, triangulation uh, frequency that they're pinging towers and saying, hey, I'm here. You know, that's how your phone talks, right? It's like, hey, I'm here. If you have a call, a text, I'm here. Here's my IMEI. Here's my uh, my phone number, my, my subscriber ID. So here I am. And if you're driving around, moving around, it's constantly talking to the network. I'm over here now. I'm over here now. I'm over here now. So if it gets a message, it knows exactly where to send it. So you have subscriber information of where the cell, cellular providers are, are knowing about your whereabouts. And then you also have this other incredibly accurate breadcrumb trail um, that Google can provide, that Apple can provide. And different party uh, or applications can provide via third party uh, to data brokers typically that can literally draw a map of everywhere you've been for the last few minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, and years, especially if you have been using the same Google account or iOS account, whatever, Apple ID account. Um, They can, this information is being recorded. It's like a perfect. I mean, you can't remember what you were probably doing exactly uh, three years ago and two days ago, but those companies do. They know exactly where you were, how long, and everything you did that day. So the idea is that if you couldn't remember and if you couldn't testify you know, what what you're doing or answer a question about what you're doing, could they just go get the information um, without a warrant? And And if they could, how far back is reasonable to expect is ephemeral and data that should just be forgotten about versus 
how far back can they go? Uh, and when you really start thinking about that, you're like, holy cow, like that's crazy that these companies know us so well, better than we could even possibly try to try to answer. Uh, so I'm just going to play uh, the first five to seven minutes of this, and then we're going to pivot back, and uh, I'll, I'll kind of give you my summary, summary of that. We're going to take um, a, a little bit of time here to talk to you about how we arrived at Carpenter, what happened in Carpenter, and particularly roads forward. I think the three of us are in pretty solid agreement that though... So the Carpenter case was the case where... Um, this individual was being charged for, I think, stealing um, phone, st- stealing property from like a T-Mobile store or something like that, <clears throat> and um, were trying. To, they were using cell, cell subscriber information to determine who was there and prove whether or not someone was there. To my, to my knowledge, this is this was the case. The court went out of its way to talk about the narrowness of its holding. The reasoning is potentially broad and may have implications across any number of areas of cases that you will be litigating on behalf of your clients. So we're hoping to have a little bit of a conversational back and forth, but generally I'm going to start talking about the history of how we arrived at the Carpenter litigation itself. Nate, as the foremost expert on this, is going to talk about what happened at the Supreme Court and in the Carpenter case. And Judge Smith is going to talk a little bit about the related litigation and also ways forward, and I think we'll all chime in at that point. So... As you all may know, um, Carpenter deals with kind of a set of Fourth Amendment doctrines and issues. The key one at issue in most of the discussion that the court had was the third-party doctrine. So as a refresher, if you haven't looked at the third-party doctrine in a little while, it, basically, it started around United States versus Miller, which was a case decided in 1976. The Supreme Court said that a person has no reasonable expectation of privacy in bank records. That was what was specifically at issue in Mr. Miller's case. The specific records were canceled checks, deposit slips, account statements, things like that. The court said that those those papers were not Mr. Miller's papers. They were, in fact, the bank's records. And relying on previous precedent about sharing information, about individual sharing information with police informants or co-defendants who had flipped, the court said, you don't have a reasonable expectation of privacy in that information you disclose to other people. You're essentially making it not private and thus not covered by the Fourth Amendment when you share it with someone else. Uh, in, in United States versus Miller, that was extended to cover documents, records, and later data. So fast forward two years to Smith v. Maryland, which is the companion case, which was about phone records. It was a pen register case about whether there was a reasonable expectation of privacy in the phone numbers dialed. Similar to Miller, the court basically said there's no reasonable expectation of privacy here because you provide those digits for the phone number to the phone company. And the court also went into great detail about the fact that people know they're doing that. They're willingly sharing information with the phone company to route their call. I kind of want people to take a mental note of that, willingly sharing information with the phone company to connect to that call. And think about that when um, you are creating content or posting content, like on social media sites, signing up for accounts, giving your email address, password, date of birth, all that fun stuff, willingly giving information to basically make the service work for you is, is, is how I interpret that in my head. 
as a result, and there's a legitimate business purpose in the phone company retaining those records, right? They have to bill you for a long-distance call or a local call. And as a result, those are really the phone company's records. They're not yours. You don't have a privacy interest in those records. For decades, the third-party doctrine was broadly interpreted to mean any type of information you had shared with a third party was not covered by the Fourth Amendment. There were some restrictions um, several decades on from these cases. For example, in Ferguson v. City of Charleston, the Supreme Court held that there was a reasonable expectation of privacy in diagnostic test results that were in the custody of the hospital that had run those tests, right? That's kind of one of the earlier chips away at this very broad interpretation of the third-party doctrine where anything that someone else holds is fair game. In 2010, and this is another case that I think is important to a lot of your practices, the Sixth Circuit held that the Fourth Amendment protected the contents of email communications. So not necessarily the to-from line, but what's actually in an email. So this is another thing where that information is held by a third party, but the Sixth Circuit said, still protected by the Fourth Amendment. You have a reasonable expectation of privacy in that information. You have to get a warrant before you go to, for example, Gmail to get the contents of someone's inbox. Um, the reason I think it's important you all know this is even though it's only a Sixth Circuit case, it's effectively the law of the land at this point. There are no appellate courts that have disagreed, and my understanding is that the providers themselves understand this to be the way the Fourth Amendment operates, and so they don't disclose the contents of email communications absent a warrant. So that's kind of one body of cases that were at issue in Carpenter. The second is this kind of question about whether or not digital is somehow different than the death by 10,000 cuts that Judge Menendez just mentioned at the Fourth Amendment. So talking about um, the case of Kylo v. United States, which is a 2001 Supreme Court case, the court held that there is a reasonable expectation of privacy in thermal signatures emanating from the inside of a house, right? So this is not about data held by a third party, but it is about using technological means to gain access to information that law enforcement otherwise wouldn't be able to get kind of in normal physical, uh, like the normal physical world without a warrant. They wouldn't be able to get information about the inside of your home without getting a warrant first. So the court relied on the idea both that you would normally need a warrant to see what's going on inside house, and the idea that the technology at issue wasn't broadly available or used by the public. It was kind of contained to mostly law enforcement, right? In 2012, um, in United States v. Jones, a case I'm sure most of you have read and are pretty familiar with, the court held that the government needed a warrant to attach a GPS tracking device to the bumper of a Jeep. The GPS device was going to track the location of this Jeep 24 hours a day over the course of more than a month, or almost a month. There was a five-justice majority that said that that physical intrusion, the act of attaching the the GPS device to the bumper, was a search. That is what ultimately the case turned on. However, there was a five-justice shadow majority, is how it's sometimes referred to, that indicated that the invasiveness and amalgamation of the information that was gathered could also constitute a search. That case is basically what led directly to Nate's work on Carpenter. And so um, before I turn it over to him to talk a little bit more about that, I want to just point out that throughout all of these more recent technology-related cases, courts were wrestling with these two lines of cases and how they fit together. How the third-party doctrine applied to digital data 
held by third companies, right? This is a technology case, sort of, but it's also a third-party doctrine case, sort of. For example, to tell you just how long and difficult this struggle back and forth was, Judge Smith issued the first opinion on cell phone location tracking um, in 2005. So judges were dealing with it at least that early (laughs) and trying to consider how these two things fit together. But it wasn't until this past summer in 2018 that the Supreme Court gave a more definitive guidance, gave more definitive guidance on how they fit together. I think Nate has quite a bit to say about that. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Megan. So this goes in. So Nathan is the next speaker in this particular video on the cell subscriber location information. I think it's called CSLI. Uh, I could be wrong on that. So uh, that that uh, this video, I highly recommend checking it out, listening to it. Uh, it's something you can put on the background and, li- and listen to. It's 58 minutes long. And I'm going to be kind of trying to become more of an expert in this area and understanding uh, what the courts define and how they see it. And, and I know a lot of people are going to be like, well, whatever. They, they, they scan all this stuff anyways. I mean, we know from the Snowden leaks oh, over 10 years ago now uh, that, you know, a lot of this is uh, – covered under a rubber stamp FISA, you know, uh, warrants for data collection, indexing, scanning, and that kind of thing. But the reason why um, this stuff will kind of, kind of matters to me is, and especially from my from our previous episode uh, where we discussed, you know, with Start9, Start OS, and why self-host and everything is because at least the more amount of services and data that can be hosted by me on hardware that's in my home, in my parents' home, in my brother's home, uh, the the least likely it is to be intercepted and scanned and surveilled. A lot of it primarily for marketing purposes, of course, but there's a lot of other data that could be dragnet scooped. Um, I mean, just recently, I think last week, there was an article in San Francisco of like, you know, a two mile radius uh, dragnet surveillance. Uh, and in San Francisco, that could be hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, depending upon where it was uh, on subscribers, cell phone subscriber uh, information and data being collected, which a lot of people think like, whatever, you know, I just, you know, uh, listen to Spotify, you know, text, email or, you know, make phone calls, this and that and the other. But it's about the principle of the more that you are okay with giving up now, the the harder it becomes to become vigilant about it down the road. And there is just kind of this, uh, there's this expectation that, you know, companies are going to do right by us. There's a, there's a quote by what's his name? Navel. I forget his last name. Uh, I'll, I'll credit the quote, but it's, if you allow secret information, secret police and secret courts, you will eventually be ruled by a secret government. And that kind of hit me. That quote really hit me. I heard it on one of Naomi Brockwell's uh, most recent videos from a few days ago that she posted that says, this is why privacy is crucial. And it's just a quote in the in the video, and it kind of stuck with me, thinking like, "Holy cow! That that's that's you know, don't even I don't I'm not even putting that in context of just the United States. That's everywhere, everywhere, where if you allow secret information, secret police, and secret courts, that you're being ruled essentially by a secret government, and not a government of elected officials of 
openness and transparency within its laws, that has uh, laws for uh, that protect the innocent. Yes, we all want people in, in, in law enforcement to be able to go after the bad guys, right? That's that's probably you know a, a general feeling. But at the expense of everyone being surveilled? No, like definitely not. Um, because if you don't have a right to privacy, you don't have a right to individualism and freedom of speech and being able to say what you want anonymously or otherwise, then it really takes away the agency of sovereignty to the individual. And and being a journalist and being an activist and being a protester, being a whistleblower. Um, these are things that like you, you lose, you don't actually have if you don't have privacy. You can't have freedom without it. It doesn't exist. It's just a facade. There's the illusion of it, but the reality is that unless you actually have the ability to communicate and convey thoughts and ideas and write articles and speak freely uh, without necessarily divulging your 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 person, then like you really don't have freedom. Uh, it's the idea that if someone could stand on a street corner with a mask on and hold a sign, and that's freedom of speech. But if you try to do that in a digital form, there's a lot of consensus within the government to try to self-verify KYC yourself even as it pertains to social media and that I have a big problem with which is and it, you know it, it, it's like going more and more into a kind of a dystopian path where if you're forced to use these services because you can't really function without them right like let's say you know, medical portals and bank accounts and accessing things online. Heck, they charge you now if you go inside of a bank. A lot of banks aren't don't even have physical branches. Um, every transaction you make, uh, oftentimes they're like, what's your mobile number, you know, for member benefits and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, I'm not. You shouldn't have to expose your true identity and give real information to do, to buy a loaf of bread to to make simple transactions to engage in commerce everything I, I know it's masked as like rewards programs and stuff like that but try just for a week everywhere you go whether it's starbucks or best buy i go to best buy right in the grocery store pretty regularly um so that's why i'm always saying those because they're always asking can i get your your phone number like no, I'm good. I just want to buy the thing. Oh, well, uh, well, how uh, that, that's what we use to track uh, the warranty stuff information. Uh, we can track it back to you. So if you have a problem, you can give us your information. And yes, yes, you can give masked information, pseudo numbers that you've created, pseudo accounts, email aliases. This is our defense, but the 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 norm is that you're supposed to give all this information all the time. So when it comes to anything to do with surveillance by the state a lot of people i think have just been slowly brainwashed into thinking like well sure why wouldn't they have that right we give all of our information up and it's like i want to make it nor i want to normalize privacy that is the goal for me and it doesn't matter if you have or don't have anything to hide you lose agency when everything you do say or communicate is surveilled tagged to you as unique individual uh when you are not under suspicion of committing a crime, right? It's like, so the way that we're living our lives is almost like we're always 
under surveillance as if we we're going to commit a crime at some point in time and they want to be able to retroactively go back and look at the entire timeline and uh, i'm not trying to sound like you know <laughs> like crazy right but that's kind of i think what motivates a lot of us in different ways and i and i'm speaking for myself and other people that we had, had conversations with openly and one on one that it's 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 just very invasive um, it's yeah, it's like if you were to be sitting in the room with your doctor having that conversation it should only exist between you and that doctor but it's like they want a transparent window into your entire life they being not just the government and government surveillance but also big tech companies so where does third-party doctrine end or begin, right? Is it um, if you're where, uh, like I'm into running, right? Running is one of my favorite things. Running, mountain biking, very active. I like to do stuff outdoors. So I wear fitness trackers like Garmin watches and things of that nature, Garmin um, heart rate monitors. Is this data protected by, by you know, some sort of privacy policy? Maybe, but a privacy policy isn't law. That's just a policy that the that the company is just telling you that it can also change at any time. And wouldn't the medical industry like inform like that data, if they could definitively know who you are from buying that information from third parties, whether it's through Apple watch wares or data brokers, whether it's Garmin and other things to, to uh, accurately determine risk levels for your insurance premium, right? That's like, this isn't data that, that belongs to anybody except you. So as you make decisions, as you are setting up different things in your life, make keep aware of this. Like you, it should be front and center, especially if you're signing up for new service, like use an email alias every time, everything you do, email alias all day, every day, right? Unique passwords, those things in themselves, will protect you significantly, especially just against threat actors who buy or or exchange data breach databases off the internet and different uh, marketplaces, forums on the dark net, where if they're running scripts on those accounts and comparing it with other database breaches they have, and they find uh, unique identifiers like an email address, they can try to brute force your login, especially if you're using the same password on multiple sites. So it, it, it limits your exposure to those more simple attacks where uh, where lazy hackers are just running scripts to try to see what accounts they can, they can um, break into. Second to that, also kind of limits your risk to phishing emails. So if one of your emails is exposed in a data breach and you start getting phishing emails to that email address and they're trying to get you to click on something or log into something, a portal or whatever, it will stand out. It's more likely to stand out and for you to recognize it because you probably only use that email address with one specific uh, platform. And I've, I've mentioned in the past, you know, simple login is a great um, tool for just, hey, you can create an email address literally super easy for every service you sign up for. And it can all go to the same email account. Like you don't have to be logged into a thousand of email accounts. You can have the same Tutanota, Lavabit, ProtonMail, whatever you're using. Uh, you can just set it up with that. And that's one way to pr- at least doesn't necessarily... Uh, stop it from happening. Like you're going to get breached. You're, you're going to get exposed. Um, but the second part of this is, is it also doesn't make it easy for correlating you. It makes it harder to correlate you in your identity as it exists on different platforms because nothing matches 
right? The, the primary keys they're looking for, when I say primary key is like a primary identifier for you as an individual or things like your email address, your phone number, your address, your date of birth, oftentimes your password, if you use the same password over and over again. Um, and, and those things can be correlated with other data sources to determine, okay, this is in fact this person, we know it's this person, so let's move them to the next level of, you know, uh, of, of an attack. Uh, if you're being, if, if you got, uh, lumped into some sort of surveillance because of someone that you associated with maybe in the past. Heck, maybe you were even just around them at the same time and your phone was tagged uh, in, a, in a surveillance uh, a scoop. So I know I'm kind of going all over the place here with this and it's because my mind um, starts going like, oh, what about that? What about that? Okay, so, so this is why uh, I want to try to uh, self-host as much as I can and for the things that I can't, start asking myself, how much do I really need this service? What benefit do I get from it? Is the service provider or the tech company or the social media company, whatever, getting more value uh, from me because I'm on it than I'm getting back from them? Uh, Then maybe I should rethink this arrangement and delete my account and not use this platform and move to something that's more privacy respecting or decentralized. And this also comes down to communication, right? So if your phones and your phone numbers and phone calls and phone logs and text messages are are basically not property of yours, they're property of the service providers, and you start thinking that way, then you start thinking like, I don't even, how much do I really need to use the phone? Like we all need a phone number, obviously, you know, bank accounts and things of this nature, but do you need to, can that be something that's hosted? that you control or that also you only use for specific purposes. And then your other communications are kind of like in a, in a different compartmentalized profile or bucket or, or a number or a service perhaps. Um, I'm not going to try to solution all of that right now. These are the things we're going to be solutioning over the next, you know, several months, possibly the next year. Um, I would even like to even look into self hosting my own voice over IP system. That would be something that might be, doable. Um, yes, there's still a service can, uh, provider might have to connect with on that. But think of uh, think about it as like a corporate network uh, where you have voice over IP phones on your desk and stuff like that. I'm kind of starting to think like maybe I might look into seeing what it could I could do hosting my own or having my own subscriber account for that because you can also use the soft apps on phones to make and receive calls as that number. So maybe that's a replacement for like your air quotes, home phone, and not using the same cell phone number for everything that you have in your life. Um, and then the second thing I'm going to be working on, like I said earlier, is also alternative means of communications. Um, and a lot of that can be communicating apps and, and encrypted apps on our phones. Uh, if you're the hated one, you're dying to see everyone use Briar and Kutch, and I think that's kind of awesome. But we also know of a lot of the mainstream ones that we're probably you know, familiar with, like Signal and Threema and Session and, and different things like that. So... Um, the part of that is also a lifestyle thing. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't use WhatsApp. So I guess we can't talk unless you want to talk to me on this. And a lot of people are like, well, I got to stay in touch with my family. I get that. Have a different system than for communicating with them because the more and more you participate in those things, the more it might, you know, you're, you're compromising your values and you, you know, you might end up getting dragnetted into something that you didn't want to be a part of down the road. Um, I'm also not trying to be an absolutionist. Uh, I, I think that there's there's some podcasters out there and podcasts I listen to where it's like 
all this unachieve what seems unachievable and it's not unachievable it just may be unachievable for a lot of people depending upon where they are in their life like uh you know having their home and trusts and not having home phone and not having cars registered in their name and all this other stuff it's like look those things are doable but you're not less than if you aren't there i'm not there i know some people who are there but I personally, it's, it's, a, it's a journey to get there. And also, too, not everyone has to be as extreme as the other person. So there's a lot of things that I say that you may go like, oh, I'm interested in that, but I don't know if I'd ever do that. That's perfectly okay. Like, that is okay. Um, if you're not, like, going hardcore and running only Graphene OS with Silent Link and only using Linux and never turning your phone on at your house, I mean, like, at some point, too, there's a balance in enjoying life. And enjoying some of the, the the benefits of technology and convenience, but at the same time, uh, we're all going to have a different tipping point for where we say, "Nope, I'm not okay with that." For a lot of people, it's things like just basic basic stuff: no Alexa in my home, no no listening microphone, uh, Google Assistant, you know, HomePod stuff, whatever, all that crap. Um, for me. Uh, it's more, I look at more of this stuff as like a security barrier where it's like, okay, I don't have a, an Alexa or any of that crap, but I do have things like Roku's in my home and smart lights. Uh, I have a Philips Hue bridge and stuff. So for me, I'm like, okay, um, it's not that I want to get rid of this stuff, but I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to separate all that stuff on its own VLAN, right? A virtual local area network on my network where all those things can exist. I can utilize them, but they can't see the stuff on my trusted network, right? And so it's, and some people will just say, no, I don't want any of this stuff ever, excuse me, in my home ever. And okay, cool. That's your prerogative. Like that's, that's where some people are. I'm kind of in between somewhere where I'm also a techie. I'm a nerd. I like to play with new technology. Um, but I also don't want to compromise my personal data and expose things that I'm not willing to expose because the trade-off isn't worth it. Like the juice isn't worth the squeeze, so to speak. So um, I would encourage you to go check out this video because there's a lot to the third-party doctrine that I'm still learning about. But what I, what I'm framing it in my mind is is more about being more vigilant about who who really owns my data and is it mine or is it theirs and if it is mine is it do i have a reasonable expectation of privacy with that information wherever it lives by default my general uh, approach to this is going to be like no if i don't own the data if it's not on my server or on in my domain where it's I control the access mentally. I'm trying to prepare myself that I have no reasonable expectation of privacy. And yes, it might be covered by fourth amendment in certain cases where if it's like hosted email or something like that, I'm going to go with the mindset that I do not because that's where things seem to be going. And depending upon what country you're in, there may be different uh, like especially in the EU, they have actually kind of more strict <laughs> rules. Uh, like the U- the UK, you're kind of just screwed. It's India, you're kind of just screwed, right? But I mean, like there are different countries that have actually more strict, and some that have zero regard for privacy or zero expectation of privacy as it pertains to your to your data. Um, and so it's more of like a let's kind of mentally get into this mindset together. And we can figure out ways to limit what third parties have our information then. I mean, like I said, 
Some of it you can't get away from. The, the Department of Motor Vehicles, your healthcare providers, insurance providers. But you can also poison the well by not giving them more than they need and also giving them uh, unidentifiable primary keys like email accounts that you sign up with and things like that. Trying to make it a little more difficult knowing that one day that data is going to be breached. Um, speaking of data breaches, Framework, uh, the, the, the manufacturer of the laptop company, the computer company, had a data breach through their accounting firm which exposed like they emailed them um, a spreadsheet uh, the threat actors sent is uh, pretended to be the ceo of uh framework and emailing the accounting firm asking for uh financials and 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 users uh they had customer data that still had i guess pending payments on on devices and just emailed it i didn't know uh they did notify their their customers very quickly um, these things happen all the time, like literally not just even daily, possibly hourly, right? Not just data breaches in the sense where they got hacked, but it might've been given out inadvertently, uh, or not even inadvertently, but because of a phishing scam. So, um, yeah, just, just, just live under the guys that like, everything's going to be taken. Everything's going to be exposed. So encrypt everything. <laughs> encrypt everything keep it stored where it's in your purview uh become like kind of fanatical about it you lock your car when you go into the store because you don't want someone to just open the door and go through your stuff well let's start locking the doors on our data because i think that's going to only become more and more uh, a normal to see these things they already are normal i, I there was over two thousand data breaches last year just alone um Apple, apparently their airdrop users could be identified and tracked. And apparently there was a, a research firm that um, told Apple this in 2019 and it still hasn't been fixed. So I guess there's a, a proprietary combination of uh, Wi-Fi and I think Bluetooth that allows Apple users to airdrop files back and forth, which is wildly convenient. Um, I've used airdrop a ton, right, with um, people I work with to get high-resolution uh, video media and images uh, transferred back and forth, especially after a photo shoot, uh, to do, like, really, really quickly and easily on a plane uh, just you know, not that long ago where I had a bunch of data on a phone and was able to airdrop it to the guy who was sitting a couple of rows in front of me in high resolution. It's a convenient thing. But what they learned was that they didn't salt the information properly. And so with a little reverse engineering, they were able to see information like um, the user, the, I think it was the uh, user's uh, email address for the iCloud account, uh, the phone number, uh, and some other piece of information to basically see... Uh, who, who the person was and they were tracking some of this on i believe a subway so i have a, a link to that if you care uh doesn't seem that apple has fixed that i'm maybe they will i don't know uh there's been no response no comment from them uh so yeah and i don't have a link to um how the the it's, it's titled the feds uh can see your notification so apparently up until probably still to this day uh, regarding uh, the Google services that push the notifications to your device um, and both on Android and iOS. Yeah, the government's been looking at that. Uh, that information, the notifications, I guess, are not encrypted or not encrypted in transit or for whatever reason, you know, they're able to see it all. And there's a lot of juicy information that you could pull from someone's notifications on their home screen. Um so I'll have a link to that as well, as well as uh, Wi-Fi hacking. Hacking is something that I've always kind of dabbled in for fun, uh, just to, to learn from. Uh, and so it, 
this is kind of like sparked some interest in me um, with some devices that I've had, like a Wi-Fi Pineapple uh, from Hack5 using Kali Linux. I've used Kali Linux in the past primarily for like OSINT tools, not necessarily directly hacking, though I have done some hacking with it just for fun. Uh, I don't know if those... There's probably some more updated packages, but using like Airmon NG and stuff to like, you know, hack my Wi-Fi and and neighbors Wi-Fi with with their permission, of course. But, you know, just you got to test it out. You got to see if it works and it it works pretty well. Um, And so in that, it's kind of gotten me more interested to educate myself, not necessarily to become a hacker, but like to learn the ways of how hackers use these tools and use these devices to protect myself, especially when I'm traveling. So I'm looking at having a different mobile network that I can travel with, um, probably using like a PFSense router or um, uh, OpenSense where I can have uh, a router that has LTE capability, uh, can also connect to Wi-Fi networks and create its own, basically connect to my own trusted network and then use whatever I'm connected to as an, uh, as a WAN, whether it's LTE or Airbnb's Wi-Fi or whatever, uh, but not allow myself to be fall victim to like man in the middle attacks. Um, man in the middle attacks are really easy to do uh, with just a little bit of know-how with things like Wi-Fi pineapples and stuff like that, where you can emulate SSIDs that phones will connect to automatically. Phones often are sending out requests saying, are these networks here? Are you available? They're networks that they have connected to previously. Men in the middle uh, devices can see those networks being broadcasted, can actually create those SSIDs and say, oh, yes, yes, I am AT&T Wi-Fi. I am Starbucks Wi-Fi. Oh, are you? Great. I'm going to connect to you because I've connected you in the past. Great. That's awesome. And now I'm going to look at the the sites you're going to. I might even redirect some of the websites you're going to into a website that I can control so I can steal your bank credentials or steal your social media credentials or your email credentials. Um, so when you understand how these things work, you start thinking like, well, how do I defend myself against that? And you do that by controlling your network. You do it by controlling your server servers and 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 using a VPN or a proxy. Um, in some cases, Tor might be a good route to go. So, all these things I'm trying to like I've kind of crammed into this podcast, which is now an hour and 21 minutes, and I'm about to to bring it to an end. Is to gear you up if you're not already geared up, and maybe you're geared up way more than I am to mentally kind of go like, okay, cool. What are my defenses going to be this year? How am I going to learn new stuff? And what can I do to protect myself from falling victim uh, to hackers, corporate surveillance, and mass government surveillance? Because none of them are good for us. And with those things, they strip away your ability to truly be free and, and communicate and share thoughts and ideas without the fear of being tagged, categorized, put into a bucket, uh, possibly on a list. We all joke about like, oh, you're on a list, you're on a list. I mean, I'm sure we all are at some point. Um, so that's kind of the whole ethos for that, the impetus of like why I went down this rabbit hole of individualism and sovereignty and, and digital um, uh, like warfare, if you, if, you, <laughs> if, if, if you call it something. I don't really know what to call it. Um, so familiarize yourself 
there's a lot of resources out there, and I can definitely not cover it all in one episode, but familiarize yourself with third-party doctrine, um, privacy policy statements. Policies are not law, um, and your respective laws in your country uh, for the laws that exist to protect you against illegal search and seizure. And so maybe um, we'll have some discussions about that in the uh, in the Matrix chat. Uh, so... Yeah, that was a lot to cover. Um, I think I covered most of everything I wanted to at least touch on. I really, really appreciate um, everyone's uh, reaching out, messages, conversations, support, and look forward to uh, having an awesome 2024 and meeting some goals that I'd really like to uh, achieve for myself. So with that, I will send you all off uh, with the positive vibes and is that a thing I say positive vibes is it cheesy to say that i don't know it kind of sounds like it but until next time i will catch you in episode 31 all right take care everybody I bet when I land, they gon' tell me it's luck again. See that I'm winning, it's harder to watch. I'm setting the stage, you should give me my prize. You ain't got no soul, you lacking the spirit. You talk out your neck, I'ma show you I'm with it. I would really hate for you to sit and watch me win again and win again and win again. I